and welcome back. Season four, episode nine of At Home, the podcast. Today we have Angie Brenneman, Dustin Eby, and Jake Simons is joining us on the podcast today. And we have a lot to talk about. So Angie, why don't you kick us off? Yes, we're so glad you're here, listener. So we ask you to stay tuned. We got some awesome stuff we're going to cover today. So Jake, we are so glad you're here with us. I hope you feel invited in that this is a great place to be. So, <laughs> Well, I appreciate you having me and yeah. excited to, to do this. Yeah, so give a little background, Brant, as to why Jake, you know, is here today and a little bit of relationship, you know, background. Yeah, Jake is my neighbor and I can't hardly stand him, so. <laughs> Electric uh, ego guy. Yeah, he, he has a an electric lawnmower, and I don't know how I feel about that, but we can get into that debate later. But no, Jake and I taught together for eight years at Woodview Elementary. Uh, he's one of my best friends, and we we live, you know, just a couple houses down. We do life together. Our families spend a lot of time together, and so, yeah. Yeah, so we talked a little bit about your relationship as friends, but other side is that you guys taught together for years and yep. um, did a lot of things in the school. And so, Jake, you've been at um, Wani for how many years have you been part of Wani? This is my 13th year, teaching wow. fifth grade at that's Woodview amazing. Elementary. Yeah. Wow, yep. so that's a lot. So you're, if it's 13 years, have the oldest group graduated college already? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yep, I actually have, this is kind of an anomaly, but I have a student coming up in about two years what of uh who's a who's a daughter of a former, former student, student. Oh, wow. and then you know yeah. you've really made uh, full circle then i've made it no yeah jake yep I'm you're there. there i'm there that's, that's a rival as a teacher it really yeah. is we have that in our household a lot because dan went to concord and so the kids have teachers and yeah. people that knew dan as a, a kid and now have their kids yep. well okay well i'm so glad you're here today and i'm appreciate and i want to say this um to our listeners that jake invests in the next generation in a lot of different ways you don't mm. just teach the fifth grade classroom you lead the robotics um and that is a pretty big program here Am I correct? Um, yeah, we. So this will be my eighth year coaching robotics and fifth year directing robotics. And we've grown from 10 students of one team to now 120 students on 18 teams at elementary, middle school, and high school. So it's wow. it's grown extremely fast this last couple of years, but it's been a, an amazing blessing to, to me. And I, I'm hoping a lot of, of students and, and their families as well. Yeah, I have to be really honest, Jake. I didn't even know anything about robotics until I came to Waukee Missionary Church. Mm -hmm. And everybody talked about robotics teams. And I'm like, what's robotics? Yeah, what year was that? Well, that would have been 2018. So you've been a couple years into your program. Yeah. 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 Yep. yeah. So anyways, now that I know it, it impacts so many families. A lot of people here at Walkie MC, but our local community, you guys go and you take these big trips and you go across the country and you meet other um, people and other families and other schools. And so I just really um, appreciate that investment into families' lives and to um, the next generation. So I know it takes a lot of your time. Yeah. And stuff. So we thank you. So today we're going to kind of review just a second before we get into our conversation. But um, we're going to review a little bit about what we've talked about in our blog. You can find all our blogs and all of our even our uh, previous podcast yep. stuff right at walkiemc.org slash at home. Mm -hmm. So we encourage you to go visit that website. But one of our things here into 2024, we want to kind of establish kind of a uh, like a send off for the new year. Like, let's do this right. Let's talk about some habitudes. And Brant, a habitude is what? It's your habits that influence your attitude. Oh, way go. to go. Nice. That's my definition. <laughs> Good enough. Right. That's great. Well, each of us around this table, the three of us, Dustin, myself, and Brant wrote a blog on different habitudes. Mm. And so I started with the idea of drivers and passengers and that really a driver actually 
determines that they're a driver and is responsible for what's going to, um, where their life is going to go, decisions they're going to make rather than being a, a passenger and being a victim. And so Brant, you wrote about the yeah, windshields and review mirrors. And basically the, the premise of that is just holding intention, um, your past while also keeping your, your eyes and your mind focused on what's in front of you. Yeah. And then still being able to live in the present. So three concepts there that are, it's hard to hold those things in tension. Um, but it, but it's so important to, to keep your eyes set on what's before you. Yeah. And then Dustin, this week you released your blog yesterday. You can go on and read it. And what was that about? Right. Yeah. About this idea of shortcuts and the second mile. So really we've been, I think in our world and in this culture specifically kind of conditioned to pursue convenience and efficiency. But I think so often when Mm -hmm. we do that, I mean, other people aren't always the goal or the focus when we are just focused on our own, you know, convenience and efficiency. So it's about this idea, really the first mile, a lot of us, we go the first mile because we need, it's, it's for us, it's focused on us, it's what we have to do, it's, you know, an obligation. But the second mile, you do it because you want to. You're doing the maximum, it's about devotion, serving others, and it's about focusing on other people. So that's not an easy thing to do in our world today, that it's a lot about me, 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 but that's it's something that I think is leadership is um, good to grab a hold of. So. Yeah, so if you ever are interested in, in finding more about Habitudes and that whole thing, you can go on to Right Now Media and just type in Habitudes, and there's about 11 books and a little there's 11 a lot. options. There's a lot to learn about. But these are just really images that help us teach and learn how to really go on this journey of life. And so today we're going to take a little bit of a different road with Jake, and I and I invite him here today because I really think you have some perspective of this whole idea about building resilience in kids and what's happening in this generation generation and how they react to adverse situations, because that's really what, you know, resilience is, is building up a, a possibility to overcome mm. when adversity comes, when change comes, mm. when hardship comes, disappointment. And so tell us a little bit about what you see over these 13 years, even in that change a little bit too. I'm sure even in 13 years, there's yeah. been a change in where we're at today with kids. I, I just think people are so kids especially are so nervous and afraid to make mistakes and fail because Mm -hmm. there's everything is just such high stakes you know the big challenge that i face in the classroom every day is you know our entire education system is predicated on this this idea of pass or fail right you get a's you get b's you get c's you pass d's even pass or you get f's and you fail and nobody wants that and that's a I don't know, a terrible feeling for a kid to see that giant F on on uh, the report card. And so, um, you know, obviously as parents, we don't want to see our kids fail. We don't want to see our kids make mistakes or encounter difficult situations. As a parent of three, I, I'm definitely there as well. But um, we have to find this balance of this um, overprotection or this um, trying to hover too much. Bubble and, wrap. Yeah, <laughs> bubble wrap. Um and also just letting them take the risks and letting them fail, but but coming alongside them through those failures and through those hardships. And and I see that every day in the classroom. I see that every day in the in the robotics field and and with you know my coaches and, and all the 120 students that we oversee. Um, and that's definitely a becoming more and more of a challenge every single day. Right, right. So here, um, we're going to take this conversation because our conversation here at At Home, the podcast is really talking about real life. It's, Mm. yes, it relates to the classroom. It relates to teachers 
teachers. It relates to coaches on the, you know, um, basketball court or in the swimming pool. But it really relates to parents and families and individuals living life together. And so we're going to take four talking points and really talk about four things to avoid Mm. (laughs) so that we can build resilience in kids, can build possibility and potential and growth. And so that this this journey of life, like we're talking about, we can we can see progress. We can see um, the end and and we can stay focused on the future. So Mm. I'm kind of excited about this because there you you know, Dustin and I like same letters. Like we like alliterations, mm. don't we? I do like alliterations. Dustin yeah. loves alliteration. Yeah, but this is kind of messed up because my fourth point doesn't have the R in it. So I was kind of disappointed because... Yeah, we should just drop it, really. I know. So, <laughs> <laughs> But our first one is, is that we are too... We are just avoid and we risk too little. And so I just want to ask, what do you guys think about this that... Do you agree? Do you disagree? Do you know what's a concept that you've even implemented in the classroom, Jake? Why is safety the number one priority of this generation? Yeah, I mean, well, first I'll just say this. It is our number one priority in the classroom, right? We're entrusted with the lives of 25 to mm-hmm. 30 kids uh, who are, quite honestly, at the beginning of the year, strangers to us. And, and it's an, a huge honor that parents trust us with their kids' lives. And so, yeah, we want these kids to come to school and feel emotionally and physically and socially safe. And I don't think that's really what we're talking about tonight. I Mm-mm. think we're talking about the, the other end of that spectrum where, um, you know, we're too afraid for them to take any risks at all and, and to get perfect scores on everything and, and bubble wrap them. And so we have to make sure that we find that balance. And, and one thing that I love that I've tried to implement in my classroom that I learned really from being in this robotics role was this idea that failure is part of the process. Failure is an option. And we hear this all the time that failure is not an option, right? And it is, it's part of the process. And so that kind of the common phrase that we use in our robotics program all the time, and my kids, you know, roll their eyes every time I say it, because I say it so often, but we use our failures as stepping stones Mm -hmm. for our next success. And it's that forward thinking, right? It's it's not getting caught up in the, the current challenge, but having this end goal in mind, knowing that you will have challenges along the way, but uh, you'll hopefully and eventually, if you stick through it and have that perseverance or resilience or grit or whatever you want to mm-hmm. call it, you'll experience that success. And so, um, I, you know, I think about, um, you know, when we run summer camps in the summer for, for robotics, it's two weeks. And the first week is predominantly elementary kids. And the second week is predominantly middle school kids who've been a part of our program for multiple years now. And they, they understand this idea of failing. Mm-hmm. And so at the elementary level, it's just, it's hilarious because we give them, you know, step-by-step instruction, build instructions for that year's specific challenge, that year's game. And none of the kids want to ever deviate from that script, from those step-by-step instructions. Why? Because they're afraid to fail. Because at the end of the week, in front of all their family and all their friends, we, you know, we invite them for this tournament, this mini tournament, and they don't want to fail in front of them. They're afraid of the judgment. They're afraid of the perception. And so it's just so funny because then you fast forward to the second week of summer camps where we have a bunch of middle school students who have already been conditioned to accept failure and understand that they will make mistakes. And we make them build the same type of robot 
And then they get through that as fast as they possibly can so that they can tear it apart and come up with their own designs, which I love, right? And part of that for the elementary kids is lack of experience. But part of that for these middle school kids is this confidence that they've gained and the understanding of, yeah, we're going to fail and we might fall flat on our face in front of a bunch of people, um, but it's part of the process and that's okay. And so I'm thinking of two kids specifically, two very experienced middle school kids who are eighth and seventh graders now in our program who, who have completely embraced this idea and they, they came up with this just completely out of the box idea for this summer camp. One week, that's all you have. And if you know anything about robotics, time is your biggest advantage. It takes time to go through the engineering design process. And so these two boys, uh, knowing that they had very limited time, knowing that at the end of the week, they were going to be competing against a bunch of teams in front of all these people, decided to take a giant risk and come up with a really cool design that landed them in dead last at the tournament, Mm. right? The cool thing about that, the reason I share that, is they weren't discouraged, they weren't frustrated, they weren't down in the dumps, but they knew that they had a season ahead of them and that they already had a great head start. And now that same team, that middle school team, is number one in Indiana, ranked first in Indiana out of 567 middle school teams, ranked sixth in America out of 3,000 middle school teams, and in the top 40 in the world out of six, 7,000 teams. Why? Because these kids were not afraid to take that risk. They weren't afraid of the perception or the judgment that that, that might fall on them. Um, and they were confident in their abilities. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. Isn't that a great story? That's and amazing. Yeah. That's, but that's truly what you want to see develop is that confidence because you failed and you know that, hey, I can use this failure to teach what I what I need to know to do what's right and mm-hmm. what's next. I want to I wanna take one little step because I think robotics is a great example of technical failure. Do you yeah. know what I mean? Like yeah. failing with your hands. And I've, I kind of gave a little prep to Dustin over here, my uh, fellow um, uh, pastor, preacher, you're, you know, you, you see and you talk about um, failure when it comes to relationships and risking and and in dealing with relationships that's a totally different picture and a lot of times we don't risk that we kind of just avoid would you agree I do yeah I do agree I, I think it's easy to get comfortable and I think that that's very common in relationships because when you were around people for a long time you know what buttons to push, you know, to make them upset. And so a lot of times you avoid those. And so when you are in a relationship with someone, whether it's a spouse, family, friend, whoever, I mean, I think we we value comfortability. And so conflict is something that's very easy to want to avoid because we don't feel like that there's a lot of uh, lessons to be learned from conflict, but there really is coming from somebody who does not like conflict at all. I understand the value and the importance of it when it's handled the right way. You know, when you you address conflict in a way where you are only trying to make sure that your voice is heard and that your point is getting across and you're not actually hearing the other person or listening, then yeah, it's not, you know, it's not super helpful. But when you're able to work with somebody through a conflict and actually be learning in the process, that's super helpful, you know? And I think you learn a lot about the other person, but you learn a lot about yourself too. And it's easy to have thoughts, opinions, and suggestions. But when you truly try to put yourself in the other person's shoes, I think you're able to learn a lot more. 
Yeah, I agree 100%. And I think uh, conflict management is something like it's a learned skill, just like your kids in robotics. It's a learned skill. Mm -hmm. You know, they're working with an engine and like, you know, complicated parts. But how complicated are we as individuals that conflict management is definitely something that we have to risk for and and go for. But I also think there's this other side of risk. And I think you guys would agree and, and talk to me about this, that sometimes we risk too much. Would you agree? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Jake. Well, you know, I, we have here in our show notes uh, the student debt. And so I, obviously I'll go ahead and just bring that up. Um, <laughs> we, when, I, when, when I graduated college, first of all, let me backtrack even more. When I was in high school, it, it felt kind of like I was in this weird transition of, of really in this time where college used to be affordable and I've transitioned to a time period where it's no longer affordable. Like how, like what's that crazy stat now? It's like college is like 800% more expensive than it was, you know, a few years ago. And so it was kind of a weird time period for, for me and my wife, Serena. And so we graduated high school and there's just kind of the expectation you go to college, regardless of whether you know what to do or not, you just go to college. And uh, you know, Dave Ramsey would say you work your way through college. And I think that was, not very applicable during the time that that I was going to college. Maybe it was, you know, 10 years prior to that or 20 years prior to that. But, you know, when college was $30,000, it's pretty, you know, difficult as a college student to make $30,000 a year. Mm -hmm. And so you just go to college and you take out student loans and you pay them off later down the road. Mm -hmm. And so that's what I did. And that's what my future wife did as well. And when we got married, obviously, it was one of those, one of the first conversations that we had was just kind of talking about, you know, this student loan, this giant amount of student loans that we have. And I didn't know how much she had. And, you know, we've obviously gotten to a place now and we got to a place early on in our marriage where it's not her debt and it's not my debt, it's our debt. And that's Mm -hmm. a a really, that was an important uh, part of our beginning of our marriage. Um, But realizing that combined, we left college with $161,000 in student loan debt, which is absurd, right? That's that's, a mortgage. I mean, it's yeah. yeah. It's actually more than your mortgage. (laughs) Right. And so um, we promised early on that we weren't going to let it be a point of contention in our marriage um, and that we were going to just... That's a promise. uh, That was a promise. Yeah. And and I can honestly say that it never was, right? Now, Mm -hmm. did we have to live differently? Sure. Mm -hmm. Did we take all the advice that was given to us? No. Like we were told that we should live in our parents' basement and save up and pay it off. We were told not to start a family. We were told, you know, after we had our first kid, then don't have more. And we didn't want to wait on that to be taken care of to start our lives, right? Mm -hmm. And so we were just really careful with our money. We budgeted. We still to this day have an insane number of envelopes, the same ones from the very beginning. They're old and crusty and wrinkly, and but we still use them. But at the same time, too, we didn't want that to be a barrier with our giving either. We still wanted to give to the church. We still wanted to give freely to our friends, and we still wanted to experience things. And we just were a little bit more conscientious on how we spent our money. And, yeah, I would say the first eight years, almost nine years of our marriage, we've been married now for 12 years, we were paying $1,200 a month just as the minimum payment for all of our student loans. Um, but little by little, we were throwing chunks at it and throwing chunks at it. Then we moved homes and had a ton of equity in that home during that crazy, like we, yeah. it was just perfect timing, honestly. And the only way we can explain it is God, mm-hmm. because we sold our house for more than we should have. We bought our next house for less than we should have. 
and that you know created a lot of equity that we we're able to throw down and then mm-hmm. um and that was a huge blessing because i didn't want to leave my job and that's kind of been the pressure that i've felt for mm-hmm. a long time like i'm just a i don't want to say the word lowly but i'm a public school teacher and i don't make a ton of money and she works in public schools as well as a physical therapy assistant so twelve hundred dollars was debilitating at times it was a us. risk it was a, ri- it was a, it was a risk. yeah total risk and mm-hmm. uh and and so we're super excited because you know our, our the the plan that we're on was supposed to finish when our firstborn child nora goes to college herself and that is just that's a lo- disgusting that's, that's right? terrible <laughs> um and so we have just a little little tiny bit left and it's it doesn't even affect us and mm-hmm. it's completely manageable um but the cool thing is is it trained us through that process yeah. to manage our yeah. money better and and we do a good job with that now yeah mm-hmm. and the wisdom you'll be able to give to your kids right um going to school or not whatever they choose you have that story now to, to yep. teach them. Right. Mm-hmm. And I think, so there's this balance of risking things. And so I really like, because I think the student debt um, conversation goes into our next point is that, that we rescue too easily. So I'm not going to get, we are at, at home, the podcast, we do not go political, but <laughs> you guys all know what I'm going to say. And that is that, you know, right now you can get your student debt just erased pretty, mm-hmm. yeah. you know, like, Hey, here, here it is. You, you did something maybe kind of, you know, dumb or stupid, or you took a, you know, you didn't really realize what you were getting into. And here, here you go. Here's your hundred grand brand. What would mm-hmm. you say? You know, Hey, thanks. Um, you know, let's go. But the whole idea, yeah, I would is, say that. <laughs> <laughs> I know yeah. you would, I know. But what I'm, what I'm giving that as an example is the rescue mm-hmm. in that you didn't like you made that decision, but then you never really had to pay the consequences. You never had to walk through the hardship of, of what you just did and the learning skills that you developed through paying off that student death. And so I just say that this is a um, point number two. So let's talk to this. Like, how quickly do, you know, we just uh, rescue our kids, rescue our relationships, our people around us? Um, I, you know, talk to us about that, Jake. Well, I, yeah, this is something that we see in the classroom all the time now, even more so. And again, I can, I can speak to that because I've been in the classroom for 13 years now, and it's definitely becoming more of a thing. Just even simple stuff like... Hey, you know, report cards are coming up. My kid has a B plus. Is there any extra credit he can do to, to get on that high honor roll? And it's like, you know, this isn't even for your kid. This isn't what's, what is we're, we're forgetting the purpose of what these grades are for anyway. Right. And so that's the sort of stuff that we hear a lot. And, and I get it. I understand that as a parent, like I don't want my kid to fail and I don't want them to make mistakes and I want them to get good grades and all of that. But at the same time, you know, I'm super appreciative of my parents, you know, in the in the environment that I grew up in, in that it was okay to make those mistakes. They just created that space for me and they walked alongside me to, you know, during that process. And so I think as a teacher and as a robotics coach and as a director, it's important for me to remember to create that space for failure and, and to follow through on that. And, um, you know, I had a student probably my second year, I've, I've shared this story with Brant, but... Um, I think it was my second year teaching. Her name was Olivia and math just was so hard for her. It just Mm -hmm. did not connect at all, even the simplest of things. And, um, you know, every single test, you know, I'd feel like she would get it. I'd sit next to her and I feel like she'd get it. And then she'd go and take the test and she'd get, you know, a 25%, a 30%, a 35%, just every single time. And every time she'd walk up to my desk to turn it in, you know, she was completely dejected. Her shoulders were slumped Her, you know, her, her, her face was down and in a frown and, and it was just so discouraging to see 
her own, just to see her perception of herself, right? Like what she thought about herself. And I don't want that. Like I want my students to come to my class and feel confident and to love themselves and to feel emotionally safe in there. And so, um, you know, I just kind of pulled her aside and we talked about it and I worked a lot one-on-one with her and kept her in at recess and worked on different concepts and just told her, you know, I know this sounds weird coming from a teacher, but I don't care if you fail. Like, I don't care if you have these Fs. I want you to learn these concepts because I think these concepts are important. But what I care most about is your effort and your attitude mm-hmm. and, you know, how 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 much you pay attention and, and, you know, that sort of stuff. And so just give me that for these next couple of weeks. And I think we'll see an improvement on, on your on your scores. And so, you know, a couple of weeks go by and she takes the test and she comes up to my desk. She's just bouncing up to my desk with a smile on her face. And I'm like, holy cow, like what, what are you so excited about? She goes, I tried my best. I did my absolute best on this. I can't wait to see what I get on it. Right. And so I get it and, you know, I grade it and it was a 55%, mm. which is still an F. Mm. Right. And I put just the biggest, fattest smiley face on that. And I gave it back to her and, and she just starts crying again. And she's just like, why in the world did you put this smiley face? It's still an F. And I said, because that's the best stinking F that you've ever had. Right. And I love best F. (laughs) (laughs) Right. And, and I think it's important for me as a teacher and for, for all these teachers and for parents or for anyone who has this influence in this platform to just allow that space for failure and to walk alongside them and to just you know, be with them through those tough times. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that is so true that it does change your perspective when even though that it is hard for you to take, well, I did do my best, but it didn't give me the result, I guess you would right. say. It gave you some skills and some soft skills, which I would even use with most kids that um, a soft skill to develop is problem solving. And I think that's the whole key is that you're beginning to see something and a solution that may be different than what you started with. And she was never, you know, she never became a straight A student and, and, you know, but she did get D's and and some C's. I don't think she ever got B's or A's. And I have no idea where this girl is now and what she's doing with her life. But I do know that in that moment, she was able to love herself a little bit more. Right. And to, and to be okay with, with, mistakes or adversity when it arises and to have that resiliency build so that when it happened next time she'd be able to handle it so okay so number three we're gonna uh, talk about this concept and i'm gonna ask dustin to tell us a story that um, we rate too easily now let me explain that just a little bit um jake you give a lot of a's like you said and you give f's and b's and c's but in our society i think i'm going to just ask you as a um teacher Everybody says what's awesome. It's like everything's awesome. Would you agree? Oh, yeah. There's even a song. There's about a song that. about that. That's right. right. Lego yeah. movie. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So as we got started up here in the podcast room, Dustin, I love the story because this is what happened to you, right? Right. Yes. I am. I'm weirdly competitive. And so when growing up, one of the things that I, I could not wait to get my first trophy because that was just something that I really because my brother had some trophies. And so I was like, man, I cannot wait to get my first trophy. And how I thought of it was at least every sporting event that I had been in or tournament that I had been in, the only people that got trophies were the winners of the tournament, which made sense to me. And so I was on an AAU basketball team in one of the tournaments we were in, we were playing and we ended up 
losing in the first round, but it was like a double elimination. So we came back through and anyways, we ended up getting third place. So we played in the consolation game. We won it. We got third place, which was, which was cool, whatever. I mean, there was a number of teams in this tournament. And so we, we finished, they have like this little award ceremony, which I thought, why are we staying for this? We got third place, whatever. And I saw that they had trophies for the, the team that won the tournament, the second place team. And then the third place team got these trophies. And at first I was like, man, that's cool. We got trophies. But then I was like, I'm going to throw that away because to me, it didn't make sense why we would get trophies for third place. You know, it's like, it just, we didn't win. And like, yeah, it was, we accomplished something by winning a couple of games. But to me, it's like the, if you're going to be in something like that, really, you should have to be, there's the refining process of actually winning the whole thing of, you know, you earned, you really did. And I know that that's a, that's a hot button kind of in, in today's culture where there there is a lot of like, you know, if you if you try it, you're that's good enough. Yeah, that you're a winner. If you're there and you show up, you're a winner. That's right. And I, there is something to say for people, for, for triers and for, th- you know, when you do participate. <laughs> and, like that word, Dustin, triers. Know, be, a, be a hard that's, trier. That's the theme of my life. Thank you. <laughs> just, be, just be a trier. And so, but then, I, I don't know. But then there is, I think you take away so much from a, whether it's a kid or adult, whatever, when they're trying to do something and we just, we reward just showing up and we just say, well, that's just good enough because you just showed up. And like, again, it's, I I think that's important too, but to really have to work through that and to come out on the other side, I think it just helps you in the long run. Okay. These two, go ahead, Brant. I think the reality is though, in, in, in our day and age is that showing up is so rare. And so Mm -hmm one way to get people to want to show up is that now we reward them for showing up. So just Well, I, I want to use this word and it's the word calculate your praise. And so as teachers in a classroom, what kind of impact? Because I think a classroom has a little bit more leverage to say you got an A or you got an F. But and so you have to calculate a little bit more on what this price, but pull that classroom concept and how you do that. How how does that relate like to life and, you know, failure in real time? Yeah, I think Jake hit on it a little bit. Even when he said that on Olivia's paper, he made a a big fat smiley face. That was a calculated praise. Right. Because he knew that she needed that in that moment, that that was, you know, one word you have on here is awesome. That was awesome for her. But there are elements on the other side of things where, you know, somebody gets a, a good grade and you don't feel, um, you don't feel like you need to be as calculated in that praise. But I do think that it's on both sides. It's on the failure and it's on um, the successes. Yeah. Do you have anything to add, Jake, on that? No, I, I, I completely agree with you on that. I just think you got to find that right balance. And, and that's what it boils down to. Mm-hmm. Well, and I think we get stuck and everybody's a winner and that's, yeah. and I, and I, and I'm not, I'm not being, um, negative in this. I just think it goes to our last and final point is that we over nurture. And so with, when we over nurture, we aren't, um, recognizing the work, we're recognizing the result. And that's what I'm saying. That kind of ties together yeah. that when we go out and we say, Oh, Hey, you're a winner. Cause you tried, mm-hmm. we're actually over nurturing them. And instead of recognizing the work and the effort that went into the result, you have any thoughts on that? Uh, Yeah. I mean, I, I, it's so easy as a parent to shoot that email to the teacher and just say, Hey, why is my kid getting a B in this class? Hey, why is my kid, what can my kid do to, and, and again, you're losing focus on what the purpose of grades are anyway. Right. But I had this kid I ran into, I was getting my haircut, um, probably a couple months ago. And I ran into a former student who's now a senior in college. 
um, actually becoming a doctor, which I think is pretty impressive. Mm. Um, but he, you know, we just kind of shot the breeze for a little bit and talked small talk. And then he goes, hey, just so you know, Mr. Simons, you're the only teacher that ever gave me a B in my entire career. Yeah. Go, oh, man. And initially, I'm just like, man, that actually kind of, I feel bad about that. I'm really sorry. And I apologize to him that that was what he remembered about me. Right. And he goes, no, no, no. <clears throat> he goes, that motivated me. Right. That motivated me for the next, you know, in sixth grade, seventh grade, eighth grade, ninth grade, 10th grade, 11th, 12th, all the way through college. And now I'm going to become a doctor because of that. And I think in that moment, it would have been so easy for his mom or his dad to shoot me an email and just say, hey, report cards are coming up. My kid has a B. What does he need to do to get up there? And that doesn't reward the work at all. That just, you know, puts a Band-Aid on it. Right. And so I loved his reaction to it. I wish more kids had that reaction to it. I wish more parents had that reaction to it um, because he was obviously able to celebrate that difficult, quote unquote, difficult time in his life, getting a B, the only B in his life, um, and, and use that as motivation to really change the trajectory of his life, right? He's becoming a doctor now because of mm -hmm. that. So I thought mm -hmm. that was that was pretty neat. Yeah, I think we have to recognize that sometimes those rating and those calculated, you know, praises and those things, they can be so influential into the next steps of somebody seeing, hey, I could have changed this. And sometimes we just praise because that's just natural. We just say, oh, you're awesome. You're awesome. Yeah. Well, that doesn't motivate change. Right. You know, and so we have to have. But there's a time for that. Sure. Right. I 100 percent yeah. agree. And I think we in our society, just as parents, this is a learned this is a learned tool that you got to pull out of your toolbox and yeah. say, I'm going to calculate at this point that my kid needs a little bit more instruction in that kind of a B or C grade because they need to change in this area. They need to have a better attitude about this or they didn't mm -hmm. respond correctly or that, hey, they need to see, I need to praise them. Hey, you made that extra effort. You went and did this for me. Thank yeah. you so much. Yeah. And so I just think sometimes we need to calculate better both of those things so that we don't over nurture our kids. And so to pull all this together, I want to kind of talk about potential. This is the big word you use in the classroom, right, Jake? Oh, like yeah. All potential. Time. And mm. so this mm. is a concept. No, Brandt? I just, I have a coach. I, ha <laughs> I have a memory from a coach who, Jake, I think I've told you this before, whether or not you remember it, but uh, it, was, it was Coach Dotson in mm -hmm. high school. And he came up behind me. It was my, I think it was my sophomore or junior year. And Skylar Titus was the, still the quarterback at Northwood. And so I was riding the bench. Um, I was what they call a program player mm. <laughs> and, uh, I got the good old pat on the back from coach Dotson and he said, nine, you got a lot of potential. And I was like, thanks. Thanks coach. And he goes, that just means you're not any good yet. <laughs> so now but the key word there being yet, yet, yet. Ooh, Ooh, you know yeah. what, Jake? See. That gives me a whole new perspective. All right, Angie, continue. <laughs> well, the whole idea, though, is, you know, closing the gap. Mm -hmm. it, uh, that potential is actually the gap between reality that you were played <laughs> yes. and the expectation that you wanted to start the game and be QB1, right? Yep, that's right. So Got there. <laughs> I got there. You got there. <laughs> so we actually, as educators, as, as parents, as coaches, the the number one job we have is closing the gap yeah. of potential. So talk to us a little bit about that, you know, Jake. What you well, think. you know, I'm kind of facing this right now in this in my director role with robotics um, because we've had so much success and it's and it's real success, right? It's not like third place trophy success. It's you know our teams are dominant and they're one of the it's one of the strongest programs you know across the state across the the country. Um, the problem with that, I guess, you know, the curse to that success is 
expectations are through the roof at all times. Mm -hmm. And, you know, this year, especially there, you know, the world championship is down in Dallas, Texas again. And, and that's an unbelievable experience that, you know, I wish every kid could be Mm -hmm. a part of. Um, But because of, you know, various reasons, they are cutting the number of teams going to the world championship this year in half. Um, and even more so in Indiana. So, so they're calculating it a little differently yeah, on the and, reward. And so, you know, we, yeah. the, the big issue that I'm encountering right now is that's huge. the expectations are that everybody goes to the world championship, mm-hmm. especially since last year, we sent more teams to the world mm-hmm. championship than any organization on the planet. Mm-hmm. And this year we're not going to, because only 2% of teams make it to the world championship this year. And so I've had to do a, a, just be tactful on how we, one, communicate with our kids, talk with our coaches, bring that unifying piece in because there's going to be some hurt feelings because we will have some teams that qualify and others that don't. Mm. Um, But also ensuring that our parents are on the same page as well, that we are all Wani Robotics, right? That we're cheering for everybody um, who makes it to the world championship. And even if you don't. And so that's kind of the challenge right now that that we're facing is, you know, the gap between that reality that some mm-hmm. of us might not go and the expectations is that everybody should go. And so I think our coaches are doing a, f- a phenomenal job of, of making sure that our kids understand that and making sure that our parents understand that. But it's definitely the the blessing and the curse of of our great program. Mm-hmm. Well, and I think too is that I'm I'm going to throw this just even a little bit more is that when we close that gap, when we realize that potential, it's very individual individually centered. Like mm-hmm. so, every kid has a different potential. We all know that we can sit here and, like you said, your friend, the little girl who couldn't do math. Um, that by the way, that would have been. <laughs> and my, I just have to say this because my kids, they're in like algebra two and geometry and yeah. they're going to take um, pre-calc and they do all this other stuff. And I'm like, guys, I stopped tutoring you at third grade. Yeah. I mean, yeah. that's like Don't my ask. reality. <laughs> like it is yeah. so true because um, my dad has a grade, literally a test grade and a paper saved in my boxes from growing up that had a D on a geometry test. And my kids just thought that was awesome. <laughs> so <clears throat> anyways, oh. but long story short is that like you're saying is that we have to individually go go to our kids, work with our kids, you know, struggle through hard things together. And I do think that we have to remember that resilience is only built through struggle. And that's kind of the full four points here that we, you know, we, we risk too little. We don't allow them to, to make a decision that's hard or to do something that's hard. We rescue too quickly. We're taking away the possibility of failure too fast. Mm-hmm. You know, number three, we rate too easily. We're, we're giving them an awesome A when they really probably deserved about a C, yeah. you know. Yeah. And then we over-nurture and we don't, we look at the re, the end result rather than the progress they made in the middle. And, and I just say all that, and I just thank you, Jake, because I think yeah. what you're doing with the kids in the robotic system and in the classroom, that building individual potential is huge, is huge. Yeah, and you know, I already mentioned this, but you know, we use those failures as stepping stones for our next success. And and it's maybe not so ironically, I wrote this, I wrote this Bible verse down from Romans five three through five, which is my all time favorite Bible verse. But it talks about rejoicing in our sufferings, right? Because why? That produces perseverance. And what does perseverance produce? character and what does character produce hope right and and so it's this forward thinking and this understanding that yeah we can endure the difficult times and even rejoice in those difficult times um, because at the end of the day there is that success at the end of the line or in this case you know that hope and and that hope is found in jesus christ right so 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, we thank you. When, yeah. Yeah. No, thank you. Thanks for joining us, Jake. One thing I remember uh, before I close here, one thing I remember specifically about my first year or two of teaching is I just wasn't comfortable uh, with the curriculum that I was that I was working with and, and the things that I was supposed to do in my classroom. And I was a little nervous to take risks, but I did. I did take risks, but I just didn't tell anybody about them. And I remember when Jake and I started developing a friendship and, and got closer, um, I started letting him in on some of the things I was doing in my classroom and in, in some of those risks I was, I felt like I was taking and Jake just fully supported and empowered me in those things and encouraged me to try new things, to make mistakes because that was going to make me a better teacher. And ultimately it was going to help me have better rapport with students and with their parents. And so, um, Jake isn't just, um, talking and using a bunch of words here that he hasn't lived. And so I appreciate you. I appreciate your authenticity and your friendship. And I appreciate you joining us today. Thank you for having me. Listeners, thanks for for listening. Uh, You can find us at walkiemc.org slash at home. You can email us at home at walkiemc.org. And we encourage you to share this podcast with a friend or follow and subscribe. Until next time. We'll see you later.